Now, I was just thinking as we were singing that how much I like singing from the PowerPoint because the difference for me is in the olden days when we used to sing from the hymn books, I'd be facing you, but now we're all facing the same way together, and I love it. It's like I'm a part of the congregation again, so that's <laughs> yeah, great. Well, let's uh, turn in our Bibles tonight to the Old Testament book of Obadiah. Obadiah. We're going to have a look at the prophecy of Obadiah under the heading of God's judgment on anti-Semitism. And uh, I do apologise if there's any mistakes in my PowerPoint. I did finish it, but I didn't have time to check it. So um, I'm hoping no two pages are stuck together or anything like that. You get that on the on this as well, if I can put it that way. Uh, we'll just read the opening part and then um, we'll ask the Lord's help. Obadiah, the vision of Obadiah. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord and a messenger has been sent among the nations saying, Arise and let us rise up against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be greatly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray now for the help of the Holy Spirit to be able to understand it and apply it. In Jesus' name, Amen. I'm sure like me, you've been uh, very affected by the things that have been going on in Israel, in the news, uh, and what's been going on, but also the things that have been spilling out as well around the world in terms of anti-Semitism. And just a few things I've picked up on over this past week that have really shocked me. There was a big uh, protest in Europe uh, where a lady was seen holding this banner, keep the world clean of the Jews and a picture of the Star of David being uh, dropped into the bin. In other words, get rid of all the Jews. Now that's quite mild compared to what I'm going to show you in America where there was a football stadium and they had up a picture of Adolf Hitler, which is shocking, isn't it? You think today how we have come to think of Hitler and yet that was uh, broadcast. And this news story from the uh, New York Times was about a, a, a man who was on a train. He saw a lady who said, you look like a Jew, and punched her in the face, this old lady. He was, uh, of course, arrested, but that's for being a Jew. And that sort of thing is going on around the world, and those are the stories we hear about. We've heard in the news as well about how, in our own country, we've seen a rise in anti-Semitism. But I want to tell you, dear friends, anti-Semitism does not go unnoticed as far as God is concerned. It's something that he takes very closely to his heart. And the book of Obadiah is actually written dealing with this very issue. It's the smallest of the books of the Old Testament. Uh, and it was written for the Jewish people and for their enemies, strangely enough, around the 6th century before Christ, which was the time when the Jewish people were in captivity in Babylon. So this would have been written about the same time Daniel was alive and Daniel was a, a, a captive in Babylon. But this was written by a man who we only know by his name, Obadiah, uh, about the people who were in the land. And uh, the only thing we know about him, he's not, he doesn't tell us anything about his father or anything like this, but we know his name means servant. And that's what he was. He was a servant of the Lord. 
And a true servant doesn't bring attention to himself. He just does what he's been asked. And that's what this man does. He brings us a message on anti-Semitism and God's judgment on anti-Semitism. And uh, the message is that God is going to judge you for being anti-Semitic. It was a message to the nation of Edom, as you can see there from verse 1 in the beginning. And uh, it was a message that had application for the rest of the world and then a word of encouragement for the Jewish people. In fact, that's the very simple outline of this book. Uh, The first part is to the nation of Edom. Then there's a message to the world or to the nations, Gentiles. And then finally, a message of encouragement to the Jews. And tonight, I just want us to have a look at this and just take this on board because it'll help us as we view the things that are happening in the world at this time through a biblical lens. And uh, it'll help comfort us in the face of the terrible things of anti-Semitism. First of all, then, we see God's message to Edom. And God's message to Edom... Uh, I'll just say, by the way, where is Edom? Edom is in today in the land of Jordan, but it's the, more the bottom half of the land of Jordan, below the Dead Sea. And uh, it, it sort of uh, ended up growing into the bottom part of the Negev Desert as well as time went on. But that's where Edom was in Bible times. And it was a, a nation that had a false sense of security because they lived uh, in a very well-made fortified place, a natural fortification place, which we were talking about this morning, Petra, the, uh, the, the red rock city where they use it for films now, but it is a natural fortress. And uh, you go to Petra today, if you go to a trip to the Holy Land, often they'll do an excursion to Jordan to see Petra. I've never been, so that's, where, that's on my hit list. And uh, you see the famous treasury building there, uh, which is carved out of rock, was used in films and stuff. But there's multitudes and multitudes of other houses that have been carved in the rock. Some of them just like, they look like little windows, but you go in and it's a little cutaway house, which is why we think it's where the Jewish people are going to hide uh, in the last half of the tribulation. It's like God's prepared this place for them. And it's uh, a place that was modelled um, after uh, uh, by the Nabataeans who, who followed the... Uh, uh, Edomites in that area. But this is where, where they used to live. And uh, it gave them a false sense of security that they were safe. And therefore, they were able to take pot shots at Israel. And what we have in verses 1 to 20, 14 sorry, is God's judgment, a message on them. And it comes in the form of really of a court case. And what we have is, we have first of all, we have the judgment, and then we have the crimes. Now, in our court cases, it's the other way around. We hear the crimes, and then we get the sentence. But God does it this way around. He says, this is the, the sentence. Now, you end up thinking, so, well, what were the crimes that led to this? And it's made to make you think. Uh, uh, and so that's how it's laid out, and that's how we'll go through it. And it is very interesting what the Lord says here. But let's just be clear. Who are we talking about when we talk about Edom? We're talking about the descendants of Esau. Do you remember Jacob and Esau, the two sons of Isaac, Abraham's grandsons, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jacob and Esau. And Esau was uh, the brother of Edom. And as we saw this morning in the sermon, the name Esau means red, and that was also the name of Edom. And it happens also to be the color of the rocks of the place, which is 
it all goes together. God had his hand on everything with it. And uh, red is the colour associated with it. So let's have a look then and see God's message to Edom. We're going to go through it verse by verse. Verse 1 says, the vision of Obadiah. So this wasn't a dream, this was a vision. And a vision is something that comes in the daytime rather than in the night. And it was a word from the Lord. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. And then he says in brackets, we have heard a report from the Lord and a messenger has been sent among the nations saying, arise and let us rise up against her for battle. And the Lord starts off with his sentence of judgment by saying that there's a conspiracy theory, Edom. And it's not a conspiracy theory actually against the Jews. It's a conspiracy theory against you, Edom. And he said, we've had a report that a messenger is going around the different nations saying, we're going to turn and attack Edom. Now, this is very significant because they had been the ones who had been doing the same things against the Jews. But you know what the Abrahamic covenant says? You do to Israel, God will do it back to you. (laughs) So this is what happened. And a messenger was sent among the nations saying, come on, let's go against the Edomites and get what they've got. And verse 2 says, Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be greatly despised. Edom was actually a bigger nation in terms of population than the Jewish people, but they were going to be brought right down in size by the nature of the attack that was going to come upon them. And God says in verse 3, The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, You who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you ascend as high as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. As I said, the Edomites had a full sense of security because of this rock city, and many of the places are high up. And uh, they felt that they were uh, really in a strong place that nobody could attack them from. And that was why they lasted so long there. And you find generations of habitations there from the Horites to the Edomites to the Nabataeans because it was a stronghold like that. You have a very narrow entrance where only one soldier at a time can come through, which gives a a natural defense for protection. Uh, But you also have these high cliff face rocks uh, with holes in up the top and therefore they felt they were very safe as he says here you who dwell in the clefts of the rocks and uh, they they thought they were like an eagle high up in the nest high up and it's interesting if you look at the carvings on the Nabataean buildings there like on the treasury building and some of these have been defaced sadly but they had eagles all over them so what the Bible says is literally how it was true uh, at that time in that place. And then in verse 5, the Lord says, If thieves had come to you, if robbers by night, and he's not able to carry on, he said, Oh, how you will be cut off. You can hear somebody talking in that. He says, If thieves had come to you, if robbers by night, would they not have stolen until they had enough? If grape gatherers had come to you, would they have not left some gleanings and you know that's true isn't it if thieves break into a house they very rarely take everything when we got married we had a break in in the early days of our marriage and they came in and they took the microwave and that was the only thing they took thankfully they left the really important things like my books and, <laughs> and my guitars they didn't touch them so 
but they took the microwave. But, you know, what God is saying here, if these had come to you, they would have left something. But when your enemies come against you, Edom, they're going to leave nothing. That's the point of what God is saying. And uh, he's saying about the great gatherers. You know, the great gatherers in Israel, they always had to leave. If anything they left or missed out, they couldn't go back and get it. They had to leave it for the poor. That was God's welfare situation, a help for the poor people of the land. If you overlooked a sheaf or something, you left it there and the poor could come and gather it. And, And God says this about if the great gatherers had left something, there would have been some gleanings left. But Verse 6, oh, how Esau shall be searched out, how his hidden treasure shall be sought after. They're going to go after everything. And that big building, by the way, I showed you was the treasury building of the Nabataeans. And they used to hide the the historians, even the Greek historians knew that the Nabataeans and the Edomites used to hide their treasure deep inside the caverns of those rocks. But God says they're going to come and they're going to glean out everything. They're going to search it out, out all the treasure that has been hidden in there, and they're going to take it away. And verse 7 says, All the men in your confederacy shall force you to the border. The men at peace with you shall deceive you and prevail against you. Those who eat your bread shall lay a trap for you. No one is aware of it. So all the people who she is in confederacy with, all the other Arab nations, she thinks they're her friends, but actually they're going to force her to the border. They're going to push her out of her own land. And uh, she's going to be attacked by her own people. And she's going to experience that horrible feeling that those who I eat bread with have actually deceived me, which is also possibly a, uh, a secondary, usable as a secondary prophecy regarding the Judas thing uh, and how he broke bread with the Lord. It's a terrible picture of betrayal, isn't it? And uh, the Lord says in verse 8, Will I not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men from Edom and understanding from the mountains of Esau? Then your mighty men, O Teman, shall be dismayed to the ends that everyone from the mountains of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. Esau was famous for his wise men in his family tree. And that's why in the book of Job, you remember Job's three comforters included Eliphaz the Temanite. Because the people, Job and that were from the land of us, it was all in the Edom area. And uh, they loved wisdom. They were wise men. They felt they had wisdom as a security. But God says, even your wise men are going to be dismayed at all this. And uh, in the end, they will all be cut off from slaughter. So that was God's judgment on the Edomites. But now what we come to in verses 10 through to 14 is the crimes they committed and why the judgment was coming. And by the way, that judgment was largely fulfilled in the days of Nebuchadnezzar uh, in, in the attacks then. But I think it ultimately has a, a final fulfillment in the last days. But the crimes are listed, and there's five crimes listed in verses 10 to 14. And first of all, in verse 10, is the crime of violence. The crime of violence. In verse 10, it says, For violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you. And you shall be cut off forever. And this is where it becomes very relevant to the modern situation today. Because the first crime God mentions is the crime of violence against his brother Jacob, against the Jewish people. 
And do you know what the word in Hebrew for violence is? It's the word Hamas. And so people say it's Hamas in the Bible, and it is. It's here in Obadiah verse 10. For Hamas against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. That's God's judgment and God's punishment. And the, uh, the first crime God lists there is violence. And I want to tell you what that was true with the Edomites and their violence, their Hamas against Israel. How much more in light of the atrocious acts that we saw committed against Israel uh, in the last few weeks, God's judgment will fall. But not only the, the judgment of violence, but uh, there was also the crime of refusing to help. And we see that in verse 11. It says, In the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that strangers carried captive his forces, when foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you were as one of them. Now this is talking about the time when the uh, Babylonians came into Jerusalem and the Edomites did nothing to help. Now you'd think they're their family. They're actually descendants of the same uh, grandparents if you go back to Isaac. And uh, their brothers, as, as he calls here, you'd have thought they would have come alongside and rescued, but they didn't. They stood on the other side. And we read in Psalm 137 how they stood on the other side and they were, they were cheering and they were calling it, you know, saying, come on, do it, do it, do it. And uh, they were inciting. They refused any assistance, uh, help at all. I don't know about you, but I hate it when I see that sort of thing. I really do. Here's a newspaper story, just to make it a little bit more personal. This goes back to 2011, so it's a dated newspaper story, but it's as horrific to think about uh, as if it happened this week. Passengers hid behind newspapers on the train as the girl was attacked. girl was attacked in a carriage, and everybody just kept their heads down. Don't want to get involved. How would you feel if that was your daughter? That, that, that's her father there in the corner. There. How would you feel if that was your daughter? You'd feel, man, what a load of scumbags in that carriage. Nobody did anything to help. Happened right there before their eyes. They are surely as guilty as the person who did it. That's how you'd feel. That's how I would feel. You know? And that's how God feels about what about Edom's done. They refused assistance. They just stood by while foreigners entered his gates and uh, cast lots for Jerusalem. And then he talks in the third place about how they rejoiced over the destruction of Israel in verse 12. He says, but you should not have gazed on the day of your brother in the day of his captivity, nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of his of distress. You see here a, a list of different descriptions of the terrible day it was for uh, the Jewish people when Jerusalem was taken captive and Judah was taken captive uh, by Nebuchadnezzar, a day of captivity, destruction and distress. But what did Edom do? They rejoiced over this. They rejoiced over what was happening and they spoke proudly uh, against them. And you know, in my little picture there in the corner, you can see some people all in the Palestinian colours there, which were all celebrating in towns like London and around the world when Hamas went on their murderous rampage throughout Israel. It's exactly what happened with Edom 
And God says, I'm going to judge you for it. That is uh, something which God despises. And then in uh, verse 13, the next crime is that they looted the Jewish people. You should not have entered the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Indeed, you should not have gazed on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. You know what the Edomites did? When they saw the Babylonians taking people away from their houses and, and, and tearing down the gates of the city, they said, great, if we just wait five minutes, we'll be able to go in and we'll be able to loot all those houses. And that's what they did. They went in people's houses, they stole their, not television sets in those days, but you know, found their jewellery, their private possessions, their things, and they carried them off and, and they stole the things that belonged to the Jewish people while they were being attacked. I saw these stories again just to make it modern so you can see what it feels like. This poor young man was a, an Asian young man. Uh, I think he was from the Philippines. He hadn't long moved to this country and uh, he got beaten up by a gang. And some boys came alongside supposedly to help him. This was all captured on CCTV. But the boy who's saying to him, you're right, mate, you're right. He's got his hand in his rucksack and he steals his iPad and his iPhone. While his poor guy's bleeding, he's, he's all being beaten up, he's in a foreign land. What a terrible way to treat people. They took advantage of, of that situation. Well, here's another one. A hundred-year-old lady in hospital dying. Her family go and see her, and they see her ring has been taken off her finger. And uh, in, in her dying moments, she had been robbed. What a terrible, terrible thing that is. That affects us inside, doesn't it? That's how God felt when he saw those things happen in Jerusalem by Edom. And so he says, I'm going to judge you for it. And then the final crime in, in verse 14 is that they cut off the escaping Jews and returned them to their enemies. Verse 14 said, you should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off those among them who escaped, nor should you have delivered up those among them who remained in the day of distress. Apparently, some of the Edomites went down the roads uh, away from Jerusalem and where they found some who had managed to escape from the, the Babylonian soldiers. They rounded them up and came up to Nebuchadnezzar's army and said, here, we found these guys running away. They could have escaped, but uh, their neighbours handed them in. What a terrible, terrible thing that is to do. And so God says to Edom, I'm going to judge you for what you have done, and it's going to be a wipeout on you like you did to the Jewish people. And for all those crimes, I'm going to send even your own friends against you, and they're going to clean you out, and they're going to take away all that you've got as well. So there's a, a poetic justice that God says is going to happen to Edom for their sins. Now, that's a, a study in history, really, in anti-Semitism. And uh, it, it should be a great warning to us. And in fact, God wants it to be a warning to us because the next part of the prophecy is a message to the world, to the nations of the world. And this message comes in verses 15 and 16 where the Lord says, For the day of the Lord upon all the nations is near. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal shall return upon your own head. 
For as you drank on my holy mountain, so shall all nations drink continually. Yes, they shall drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they had never been. And the warning God gives us here in this part of the message is he turns to the rest of the world and he says, now you need to learn from what I've done to Edom that I'm going to do the same to every one of you anti-Semitic nations in the future, in the day of the Lord. Now, when is the day of the Lord? The day of the Lord is a name that the Old Testament gives, and actually for the New Testament, for the tribulation period, the seven-year period leading up to the second coming of Jesus Christ, when it's going to be a time of great judgment on the earth. And God says in that day, in that day, as you have done, it shall be done to you and uh, the reprisal shall return upon your own head god will repay in kind for how we have treated the jewish people you know what i want to tell you as as somebody who's english that makes me feel very very uncomfortable for our nation because we have not treated the jewish people always as we should have done do you know in the year 1279 edward the first had 300 Jewish individuals executed in this country. And then in the year 1290, he expelled 290 Jewish people from this country uh, overseas. So, you know, talk about murder, talk about uh, driving out of the land, that's what we've done. In World War II, the British white paper policy limited immigration of the Jews into Israel to escape Hitler's Holocaust in Europe. We were in charge then because of the uh, Balfour Declaration. We were in charge of the land that had been under the Ottoman Empire and uh, the land of Israel was under the British. And we said, okay, 5,000 people a year can enter the land. But they they were fleeing the Holocaust. They all wanted to get out. And it was their land, and it had been promised to them. But we said, no, 5,000 a year. That's all you can have. The rest of it, you have to go back to Europe. The blood of the Holocaust is on the hands of this nation. It's a terrible thing to realize, isn't it? In fact, one of the things that came out with the Freedom of Information Act in 1999 was how Britain blocked secret U.S. plans to rescue the Jews of Belsen. And God says this, he says, as you've done to the Jewish people, it'll come back to you in the day of the Lord. And the tribulation, what a terrible time it's going to be on Britain for how we have treated the Jewish people. And the best thing every single one of us individually can do is call on the Lord for our own salvation and ask that our sins be washed clean and that we ourselves be found right with God for when the last days come, and uh, be found right in Christ Jesus. The nation may be judged, but we ourselves can have a right standing in Christ, and we need to look to the Lord for that. So if you've never turned to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've never become a Christian, and asked the Lord to save you, I ask you to think very seriously about this, and throw yourself on the mercy of the Lord Jesus, even tonight. So that's, that's Obadiah's message to the world Uh, in light of that but then the third thing is a message to the jewish people and this comes in verses 17 to 21 it's his closing message of hope 
You know, years ago, I, I heard the story of a, a, an elderly minister who used to cycle to church. And uh, one morning, and he, he was known, by the way, as being one of the most thankful ministers ever. He was always saying, thank you, Lord, for this and thank you for that. And if it was a rainy day, you thank the Lord for the rain and, you know, everything. Well, one morning, the chain on his bike broke. He fell off his bike. His sermon and Bible fell in the puddle. And he got his hole, hole in his trousers and he got up in the pulpit and one nudged the other and said, let's see what he says thank you for today and you know what he got up in the pulpit and he said lord i just want to thank you it's not always like this (laughs) Uh, that's such a lesson for us all isn't it you know we can always say that lord thank you it's not always like this well that's the message of obadiah at the end he says lord thank you it's not always like this because there's good news for israel for the future at the end and the book which was very heavy on the judgment of God at the first part is a message of hope for Israel at the end. And uh, it gives comfort to the Jewish people in the face of their suffering. And he promises them a number of things that the Lord is going to do for them. He says in verse 17 that she'll enjoy the blessings of salvation and sanctification together. Verse 17 says, but on Mount Zion there shall be deliverance And there shall be holiness. The house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. Now those two things, deliverance and holiness, are salvation and sanctification. And they come as a result of trusting in the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you and I need both. We put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and he delivers us from the judgment of our sin. But he wants to work in us as well and make us holy inside. August Toplady, the famous hymn writer, put it like this in his hymn, Rock of Ages. He said, be of sin the double cure, save from wrath and make me pure. That's a great prayer, isn't it? Be of sin the double cure, save from wrath and make me pure. And that blessing will be Israel's when she turns to the Lord. She'll also enjoy the blessings of survival and uh, coming into her possessions. It says the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions at the end of verse 17. What does that mean? Uh, Well, can I put it to you like this? I'm guessing your library at home is perhaps a bit like my library in as much as you've probably got books at home that you haven't yet read. Is that right? Now, those are your possessions, but you haven't yet possessed your possessions. But I want to tell you, when Israel has, she possesses the land, but she's going to come into the full possession of it. You know, Gaza is a part of the land of Israel. It doesn't belong to the the Palestinians. In fact, it was given to the Palestinians in 2005, a land for peace deal, you remember, in the days of Ariel Sharon. (laughs) And that went well, didn't it? Uh, But... uh, It's her land. And so all the other places that she owns, she's going to regain. Verse 18 says, The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame. This is a a picture of how they're going to be on fire. They're going to be alive, like the burning bush, which is a picture of Israel. The burning bush that Moses saw. Do you remember? It was on fire, but it didn't burn up. And like the Jewish people, even though they've had all the anti-Semitism of the years against them, holocausts and pogroms and everything, they're still here. They're the bush that burns but doesn't burn up. And the house of Jacob shall be a flame and the house of Joseph a flame. But the house of Esau, by contrast, shall be stubble. (laughs) They'll be gone, but 
the Israelis will still be there. They shall kindle them and devour them, and no survivor shall remain of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. So that's going to be a blessing they're going to enjoy, survival as well as salvation. Then in verse 19, they're going to enjoy the blessing of space. Who doesn't like having a little bit of extra space around them, you know? And uh, in verse 19, it says, The south, which is the Negev, shall possess the mountains of Esau. So those Jewish people who live in the southern part are going to possess all that area we talked about, Petro and all that area. They're going to, they'll possess the mountains of Esau. The lowland shall possess Philistia. Or I'm going to call it the Gaza Strip. They shall possess the fields of Ephraim. And we're going up the land of Israel now from the bottom to the top, uh, which is like the West Bank area and the fields of Samaria. Benjamin shall possess Gilead. That's uh, uh, further up and a bit over the Jordan too. And the captives of, the, of this host of the children of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. You know where Zarephath is? Lebanon, where it's all kicking off up the north as well. That's going to belong to the Jewish people too. And it's going to belong to all the Jewish people, not just those who are in the land now. It says the captives of Jerusalem who are in Sepharad. Sepharad is in Europe. You hear about the Sepharadi Jews. And there's Jews who have been spread across the, across the diaspora, as they call it, across the... Europe, they're going to be able to possess the land as well. The captors of Jerusalem are in Sepharad, shall possess the cities of the south. And the final blessing they're going to have is what's called saviors in verse 21. Then saviors shall come to Mount Zion. Now you might say to yourself, well John, shouldn't that say the saviour shall come to Mount Zion? Why does it say saviors? Uh, Well, it's not talking in this verse about the saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. The word saviors here is the word for deliverers in terms of military deliverers. And it was the name that was used in the Old Testament in Hebrew of the judges like Gideon and Samson and that they were called the saviors. Uh, And uh, in the book of Nehemiah, they're actually called that the deliverers. And he's saying that God is going to raise up those who will be deliverers and saviors, people who will help the Jewish nation as God empowers them. They shall come to Mount Zion to judge the mountains of Esau. And look at this final last verse, this phrase at the end, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. That's when Israel will come into all these blessings, when the kingdom is the Lord's. So what a wonderful message Obadiah gives us uh, about God's judgment against anti-Semitism. A message of judgment that was to Edom, a warning to the Gentile nations of the world like ourselves, but a word of encouragement for the Jewish people in these days. And uh, let's give thanks for that and let's continue to pray for the peace of Jerusalem ourselves. Let's sing our final